Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 9, Episode 32. I'm Jack. I'm ASD. And today we have the pleasure of being joined by Chris from the Proud Lilywhites. Hello, guys. Great to have you with us, Chris. Uh, as always, I can't remember what number um, this is for you, actually, being on Echoes of Glory, but it might even be number three and be the match ball. If... I think it might be four. No, no, no. I thought it was two, so I reckon I go with Jack and say it's three. I, it's definitely because we had one where you were on with Ange, where it was just you, and then the first one where you told me off for calling you ladies, where there was a blonde lady <laughs> with you as well. One? Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. All right, so it's three. I think, I think you're right, Jack. It's the match ball. <laughs> the match ball, brilliant. Well, let's go straight into some questions about you as a Spurs fan. Um, so let's start off with, who's the fa- your favourite ever player that you've seen play for Spurs? It's a really... I, I've first... My first game at Spurs was 1980, so I've seen a lot. When you were two, oh, so you I, did. I, was, <laughs> I was seven, six, six. Oh wow! Um, yeah. I'm I'm all right about my age. Um, <laughs> so it's really hard to pick one player, to be fair, because you know we've seen some incredible footballers over the years, and I think if I if you if you took me back to the 80s. I think I'd probably say Glenn Hoddle because how could you not say that watching those teams in the 80s? But I've also got very fond memories of Garth Crooks, very fond memories of Steve Perryman. I think if we move into the 90s, it gets a little bit trickier. Um, but I loved watching Davy Ginola in the in the 90s because I mean, who didn't? That one that one season, I'm, I was I used to sit on the um, on the old shelf and we were about 25 rows up. And I used to go with my cousin who absolutely loved him. And one day she swapped our tickets with somebody who lived, who lived, who sat in like row one or two on the shelf. So she could be closer to him. Amazing. That's great. So, yeah, she, she professed her love for him then. Um, Ledley, I thought was incredible. That's um, the correct answer. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ledley's an incredible was an incredible player Uh, you know you always wonder like what he could have been like if he didn't suffer from those injuries I think he would have been probably one of the best well I think he is one of the best defenders this country's ever produced but I think the whole country would know it rather than us as Spurs fans it being our little secret almost um so I definitely put Ledley up there I'm always a fan of trying to pick um Defenders or defensive midfielders, because I think there's a lot of work and graft. When I did play football a long, long time ago, I was a central defender, so that's why I think there's a lot of graft there and not very much glory. You know, I don't know if you saw there was a little clip from Jan Vertonghen the other day where he talked about scoring the winner at Wolves. Did you see that? Yeah, he was talking about playing against Traore as well, yeah, wasn't he? he what a nightmare. by Traore, but he scored the winner. Yeah. And so everyone was talking about what a good game he had. He said, I had a terrible game. Mm, One mm. of the most difficult games of my career. He said, makes you realise, well, you know, how easy it is for strikers. All they have to do is score that one goal and their performance gets yeah. overlooked. So I think I want to, you know, always kind of represent for the uh, defenders or the defend- defensive midfielders. Yeah, brilliant. And how about the best ever game that you've been to? So you mentioned there, you know, you've seen, you've seen a fair few. Is there one or two that stick out as your favourites? Um, I've, well, <clears throat> the one I remember the most as a child, I wasn't there, but I remember being allowed to stay up late, was the 1984 UEFA Cup final. And I still get goosebumps when I see 
Tony Parks make that save whenever you know if you kind of catch a, a clip of it. So I'm really really fond of that of that memory. Um, that game always comes up, by the way. Anybody that was ever there for it or watched it on the telly, they all say that UEFA Cup final to have won a, a major trophy at home as well. They, everybody always says that. Absolutely. Well, I was 10 and I, my, my, I remember in my parents' um, living room, they had this oval table and all I can remember was like running around it in circles hmm. as they went in, you know, because I was allowed to stay up and all of that. Um, so I think I have to pick that. Um, God, it's just, it's almost, there's too many. I, I mean, I went to Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, that's so, going to be this generation's UEFA Cup final. I mean, that, but that was incredible. Yeah. It was everything, you know, the whole day, you know, it started with us trying to get some food in this cafe and they, there was, they would only give us pasta with cheese, like literally. They were like, sorry, no, that's not on. We're not, we haven't got that because they were saving their the food for the Ajax fans that had booked for the evening to like watch the game and eat. Wow. So we had to like, and we just decided this is where we we're going to go. We didn't want to like schlep around trying to find something else. So it started with like Ajax fans depriving us of lunch, mm. <laughs> you know. And then we got on the on the metro and like everyone felt. I felt like everyone was like six foot three and blonde, yeah. and they were like. They were singing Donny van der Beek all the yeah. time. <laughs> like, oh, you know, we were trying, you know, we we're having a bit of bit of a laugh with them and they were like, Oh no, you know, you're finished, whatever. You know, oh it's just it was just incredible. It was yeah. just incredible. The ground's great as well. I've been once but for an IX Alkmaar game. Um isn't isn't there a ditch all the way around the pitch? So you you can't actually run on the pitch if you're a fan. Am I right? I could be wrong. We were so high up, I couldn't even begin ah. to tell you what there was or wasn't. Did any fans leave, you know, on 90 minutes to just try and get away? Because they looked like everyone was still yeah. there. Yes, oh. in fact, one bloke, it's, it's a classic thing. There's always that one bloke that moans the whole way through. <laughs> yeah. terrible. I can't believe it. What a waste of time. Let's just go back to the hotel, lads. Come on. Have a good <laughs> time for this. Etc. etc. There were three of them actually in front of us and they went and we were laughing afterwards at the thought that they'd gone. I mean, to be honest, it got to 2-2 and I was talking to this woman. There was a woman sat next to me and um, we ended up talking about, she started trying to say, trying to get me to guess what her job was, that she was like a teacher <laughs> in this job, but she had didn't have any qualifications. So we just had this weird conversation. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night. It's 2-2, yeah. <laughs> we thought. Uh, she was a dog groomer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly, the, and then suddenly, that all happened, and it's just like, oh my goodness, it, it just went wild. And Philip, who I, who I, we travelled together, I don't know if you've ever met him. Actually, he's from the Proud Lily Whites. It's like he's quite, a, he's a lovely guy, but he's quite quiet mm -hmm. and relatively unassuming. Um, but he, when he sings a football song, his voice is really booming. Um, but basically, he didn't do it, but he just kept saying, I want to take my clothes off. I just want to take my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, he was so excited. He didn't know what he, you know, what he was going to do. So I think that's got to be up there. But yeah. I mean, numerous North London derbies. Yeah. You know, I quite enjoyed the 4 4 in the, um, uh, at the Emirates. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that one, the loads of people left in that one. Yeah, and that was empty. That 12 rows up, and I ended up in the front row. And I don't know if you remember, but um, 
there was a when we scored the fourth goal, what a fan jumped onto the yeah. pit. Yeah. yeah. Now, 30 seconds before that, he was standing next to me. <laughs> no way. We're a bunch of tossers. You don't deserve to be wearing that shirt. I can't believe you put us through this again. And then suddenly, like while he was shouting, we scored. And it was like, ah, and jumped on the pitch and tried to celebrate with the players. That was, I literally will never forget that goal. It was just incredible. And we should have lost that game about eight or nine, two. And yet to have nicked a 4 4 is just wow. I mean, and your memories there of the Ajax game as well were just sensational. I mean, I think. I was I wasn't there for it, but every Spurs fan remembers where they were when that goal went in as well. Yeah. And to have been in the stadium, God, that must have just Talking been about dog grooming. <laughs> I mean, what was the 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 amazing thing about that is we were so high up, but it felt we really felt like it really felt like we were all there together with the players and the management. You know, when they came back out, and you know, I've got a little video actually of when Poch came out and sort of called his his, um, his management team over and came up to the fans and it was it was incredible like everyone was like singing singing everyone's song etc but um I didn't realize that Delhi had been called for a um drug test because I did wonder on the night where's Delhi oh, but apparently he he got pulled for the drug for the drug test so amazing I remember um Petr Cech telling an incredible story about a drugs test that when Chelsea won the Champions League against Bayern Munich, obviously they were all going absolutely mad celebrating it. And then it, this is months later and an interviewer said to him, you know, what were you doing moments after you'd won? And he was like, oh, I was, you know, trying to go to the toilet because I'd been pulled for the drugs test at full time. It's like his whole team celebrating winning, you know, one of the biggest yeah. trophies that there is. But yet you can't be there. Amazing. Now, I imagine that the Lucas Moore of the goal is probably up there with the best goals that you've seen live. But is, are there any others that stick out as just a moment where you were like, that's that's one of the best goals I've ever seen? I mean, I sat in line with uh, pretty much with the 18-yard line at White Hart Lane and we into the goal that we shot into in the second half. Yeah. And um, Stephen Carr scored an absolute banger against yes. United. Yes. Darren Anderson scored a beauty against Leeds. Gareth Bale seemed to win one like five games for us from that area um, in the that AVB season. Um, so yeah, those are a couple that, that yeah. stick out. I think Janola scored one in that game, same goal, that Anderson, same game that Anderson scored actually, which was a bit, which was um, which was pretty spectacular. Um, I think did um. Freddie Canuti score an overhead kick at White Hart Lane as well. My, my... He was the score of strange goals, Freddie Canuti, because he'd get yeah, me. Yeah. I remember him scoring one. I think it was against Everton, where he chested it down after off about twenty-five yards and volleyed it in the top corner. Yeah, I think the volley I'm remembering. Definitely yeah. the volley I'm remembering. And also, the, the, I tell you what, other goals I really enjoyed watching because I think he struck the ball like no one you've seen is Tom Huddleston on the half volley. Yeah. And it just the the the, the clarity of the ball flying through the air with such kind of it was just sort of just sort of just so straight and hard and and so true um yeah. you know you like to see the ball struck like that he scored against the arsenal didn't he in the 2-2 at your end i think because i always sat in the south end and yeah. so i was used to because avb was when I, like i i had a period where of about four or five years where i went a lot and then it sort of tailed off as i got kids and poor um but 
we never scored in the first half and we always kicked towards the south stand in the first half so I never ever saw goals ever and it was always really frustrating because then I'd see Jack afterwards and he'd be he'd be loving life because we just didn't have all the goals up his head yeah I miss the old grounds you talk about that and used to sit in Paxton Road it used to be great I didn't I wasn't in the south stand very often because the season ticket that I had was Paxton Road, but the odd game where I didn't go, or if it was a cup game or something like that, and ASD, we went a few times and sat in the South Stand. It's just, it was a completely different experience, but, you know, what an amazing old ground it was. It's just so good looking back on on those goals, and I'm so pleased that you brought up the Steve Carr goal, because I'm the only one that ever talks about it, because I say it's the best goal that I've seen. You you know, I've I've watched it I've watched it back. I've watched it back, and it's like, it's definitely not the best goal I've seen, but yet it is the best goal I've seen, just for what it was. Um, Absolutely, and then didn't did Benny score one against Liverpool that was pretty? Yeah. Oh yeah. As Tim Howard, I enjoyed that one. I also remember there being a really good little pencil kind of drawing. Of, someone just did like a silly sketch, and it oh, was yeah. Tim Howard swearing in the goal, which kind of just that little joke, which is like you don't want to tease somebody for their, um, you know, for the, for any issues that they have, but it, that did sort of make me laugh. Yeah. Um, I thought Sonny's goal against Burnley. Um, Oh, yeah. That was this season. I mean, it's just weird to think of it being this season, to be fair. Um, but I enjoyed that. I thought that was good because it was almost like he just picked the ball up and put his burners on. You know, it felt like a FIFA goal, didn't it? It was like yeah, yeah. he pressed a special button and he just went a bit faster than everybody else. Were you yeah. there for the Sigurdsson goal against Hull in the... Um, it wasn't the FA Cup, it was the um, other cup. It's, this is my favourite goal, and because not, not many people were there. Do you remember it? It was, I think that game went to penalties. Was it a white hot lane? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would I'll have sent it then. I'll send you the video because it, it, it wasn't, top. it was against Hull. Yeah. Sigerson gets the ball from Norton and he sort of drags it back but also bounces it over two players' uh, legs as they come in. Then he absolutely rifles it into the top. I'll send you a video on Twitter now. Oh, okay, um, yeah, please do because I, I'm sure I was there, but. They didn't replay it in the ground, so we only saw it when we got home, and it was always a bit like, did he do that? And it it was unbelievable. I'm going to send it. Oh, down. Okay. Yeah, no, no, please do, please do. Um, and also, Chris, I'm just interested to get your opinion on a goal that always splits opinions. Eric okay. Lamella's Rabona, love it or hate it? I hate it. I... To be clear, <laughs> I I I love the artistry. Right, I do love the artistry because. You can't not love the fact that someone's done that. But I find Lamella intensely frustrating. Yeah. So that's why I find it difficult to kind of lord the goal too much because I sometimes just think, Eric, just play a simple pass. That's all I ask of you. It doesn't all have to be magic and glory. Although, of course, we love the magic and glory, but sometimes you just want a simple pass. So I like that. I did enjoy the Rabona. Don't get me wrong, but... It was a bit of a weird, it was a bit of a, that was a really weird time of my life, actually. My my um wife had just died, like, a few weeks before, I think. And I was still going to football, because that was one of the things I was like, I'm going to keep this routine. Yeah. And so I kind of have a bit of a fuzzy memory of it as well. But yeah, I like the artistry, but I want Eric to sometimes just play a simple pass. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what you're going to get with Eric Lamella. I know, I know. <laughs> Um, but you know what? Let, let's talk a little bit now about the proud Lily White. So oh. you've been on the show before, but just as a bit of a recap, um, and for any new listeners that aren't too familiar with who the proud Lily Whites are, you tell us a little bit about um, who you guys are and what it is that you do. Sure, we're the official Tottenham Hotspur LGBTQ plus supporters association, 
and we started in late 2014, so about five and a half years ago, to be a, um, a supporters group, basically, for the LGBTQ plus fans of Spurs. And, you know, we've said from the beginning that we want to do this in order not to have to do it. Um, it sounds silly, um, but actually, you know, the thing what we wanted to do was to make sure that if you are LGBTQ plus and support Spurs, that you feel that you have a safe and welcoming environment to go into. Um, I've always felt um, a safe, safe and wel welcoming environment at Tottenham, um, but that's because I've been, as I've you've been talking, I've been sat in the same seat. Um, I was sat in the same seat from 1996. I know and love football. The people around me were, you know, were decent. Um, and occasionally, you know, if somebody else came in because they'd, um, you know, bought a ticket or whatever and they even tried something like, you know, tried to say something discriminatory or whatever, you know, the people around me would say, oh, you don't want to say that, mate. She'll have a right go at you. But in, like, in a nice, fun way. Yeah. And so, you know, I first went to Tottenham, as I said, in 1980, and I still remember walking up the stairs and seeing the pitch and all the people and feeling that kind of collective um, hope, that kind of feeling of togetherness and how we were all about to embark on something for these next 90 minutes. And, and that's like nothing else. And, you know, that's only a football fan who... You know, when you've been in a stadium that you can really, really kind of get that feeling. And I don't want to deny that to anybody. And so and what we realised at the beginning, you know, this is and it, and it has changed in the last sort of five or six years. I think we, we can come on to that in a second. But we it, when it became clear to me that there were some people who had been football fans earlier in their lives and then had come out and thought, actually, football's not for me, yeah. or had never in, even considered um, getting involved in being, a in, in being a football fan or or kind of pursuing being a football fan because they thought it wasn't for them. I just thought, I don't want to deny anybody that. So that was kind of the, the impetus that, um, you know, made us sort of set it up. Yeah. And from there, we've, you know, we've we've built a, a membership organisation with about 600 members now. Um, from a social media following, we've got probably across all channels about sort of 10,000 followers all over the world, which is really great. The Americans love us. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we put it together so people could um, have someone to go to football with, meet up do meetups before games, watch away games, etc. But also with a sort of a campaigning and, and sort of education as well. Yeah. Because I think there's a couple of things. One is you want to make sure that you can be part of um, creating an environment that's, that's safe and welcoming. So if there are issues, I'm not interested in criminalising people. You know, if, if you're a repeat offender or it's, you know, or really bad, then of course, but mostly people say stuff, they don't know what they're saying, they're repeating what they've heard somebody else say, they think it's a bit of a laugh, they don't really get it, or whatever. Um, I think what we, you know, you don't campaign for stuff unless you think that people are able to change. 
so one yeah. of the things that we've we've worked on with the club is um, education so we've done some steward training we've done work with um with staff at the club um we've consulted when there's there have been issues of discrimination either online or um in the stadium um but then also we do campaigning work so you know as i said things have changed quite a lot you know when we first put our flag up it was a bit you know we were one of the first um lgbtq plus fan groups in the in in english football and it was a bit like what's this what's the you know we were we were both welcomed there was loads of positivity there was more positivity to be fair than negativity but there was some like serious sort of um we had some detractors um but if you look now there's only there's there are fewer than five i think Premier League clubs that don't have an LGBTQ plus fan group and they stand out. And I think with Rainbow Laces and the work that the fan groups have done over the last five years, um, I think it's we've 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 turned the tide that of the understanding that homophobia in football grounds is not acceptable. Now I'm not saying that we've stopped it, um, but I think we've we've got to a place where it's understandable that it's not acceptable. Now there are obviously mass chance that there are still some issues with um, that we that we continue to work on, um, and you know there are arguments about whether they are homophobic or whether it's about something else. But I don't really want to get into it because I ju I don't want to give it airtime really. Um, but so I think there there's still work to do there. Um, but I think there's the, the the flip side as well is is using football for good because we know that all the best football clubs like ours have got community foundations that do really good work in their communities and understand the power of football to make positive social change. And so for me, that was what, that was one of the things that I really wanted to look at was how we use football to help society change as well. Because a lot of people talk about football being a mirror to society. And I understand that it can be and that we, you know, all the stuff that happens out in the world happens in a football pitch, football ground, and maybe it's exacerbated but also football can be a leader. So if you look at a lot of the work that's done in anti-discrimination work, it's important. You know, very early on in this on this journey, I met um, a guy called Frank Mugisha, who was a Ugandan LGBT rights campaigner. He wasn't a football fan necessarily, but because he, the Premier League is so popular in Uganda and because at the time, I don't know if it, I, don't know, I should check whether it's changed now or not. Actually, maybe edit this bit out. But anyway, it was illegal to be, you know, you could be um, punished. It was homosexuality is punishable by death in Uganda, right? Mm. So he was like, I'm going to come to the UK and work with Premier League teams because if I've got a Premier League player holding up, holding something up that says that's in support of the LGBTQ plus fan groups or against this um, against this law in Uganda, that will make a difference. Yes, and it's still illegal. he wasn't a football fan, but he realised that was what he could do with football. So those things together, the education, the campaigning, and the and the socialising, I suppose, it allowed us to um, do both things, both on a, a micro and a macro level. Yeah. You know, campaigning for change across, you know, across football. You know, and changing hearts and minds out there in the world, but also making sure that individual people have um, the ability to enjoy football like we can.
that's amazing you mentioned so many great points there and i think all the work that you guys do is absolutely incredible and i'm sure the list of achievements that you have that you've managed to actually do in the last six years the list probably endless but if you were to able to sort of pick out a couple of the the proudest achievements that you and the proud lily whites have had to date what what would you say they would be well i think just a couple, a couple of small ones I think were really important, and I mentioned, I think I mentioned them both already. Actually, one is having the flag at White Hart Lane. I can't tell you how incredible it was. It was in the southwest corner. Was it the southwest? No, the northwest. Northwest, corner. yeah. Yeah, the northwest corner. It was in the northwest corner, and you know, I love kind of um, seeing highlights from big games because often, you know, someone's coming down that left wing. And our flag. Yeah. Well, importantly, it, the cameras could see it because if it if it was in the opposite corner, the cameras wouldn't see it, right? Exactly that, you know. And so, you know, we had messages, as I say, from all over the world. You know, people in in countries where homosexuality mm. is illegal, saying, "I'm a Spurs fan. I can't tell you what it means to me to see this." You know, mm. people from Australia, um, all over America, New Zealand you know, across Europe because they've seen the, the, the flag during a game. So I think that was an incredible thing. It must be amazing to receive messages like that. You know, oh. you, you say you say it as if it's like a, a, a completely normal thing, but like that's yeah. incredible no, to, have that, to have that kind of impact is just, that, it, that's amazing. I, I, I mean, I say it as if it's a normal thing because I've sort of said it before, but it's still kind of... I can't I sometimes I can't believe it to be honest Jack because mm -hmm. like I think we just had this idea and put a flag up in a football stadium yeah. you know um but we did realize what impact that would have because I think there's something and and that was what we we did say that to this to the club quite a lot as well it's like you can't underestimate what it means to have that there you know it's a normal it's a normal sized flag it wasn't anything big it wasn't anything fancy it adhered to all the stadium rules it, we followed all the procedures that anyone would follow to get a, a flag in a stadium um but you can't underestimate what that means for people whether they're in the ground whether they're uh, working they're a fan um and on the tv of what it means to see that there and for it to be utterly normalized that was yeah. the thing it's just like here's just some another set of fans which yeah. was brilliant um and I think another, another, you know, as I say, I've already mentioned it, but hearing from some of our members, um, you know, there's a couple of really active members now who, because of the Proud Lily Whites, have come back to football. Is that, you know, that for me, it's, you know, because actually that's like somebody's life has, has changed again because we came up with this thing. Yeah. And that, that makes a big difference, you know, that, those very sort of personal stories which i guess is what the flag thing is about is really important on a sort of a so that and i say the micro and the macro from on a more of a macro level i mean like you probably saw it back in um early december of uh, 2019 um uh, because of all the fancy technology in the new stadium um we lit it up like a big rainbow yeah um which was great yeah, you know, that was a re that was a really really great thing to do. In fact, um, the club's been nominated for um, an award in the British Diversity Awards 
or is it the British LGBT Awards? Something for um, the best sort of kind of um, campaign because, right. you know, like that was really quite a thing to do. Yeah. Um, that and So that was really great. And that, you know, was something that was, again, sort of seen all over the country and all over the world. Um, and then I think the other thing that I was really proud of, because I think it, it, it talks to how we developed our relationship with the club um, and we are sort of you know we work in in partnership and in with them but also you know we're not sort of we don't just say okay well you know I'll start that again I'll start that again <laughs> so the other thing I, I think I'm I'm really proud of because it shows our relationship with the club is around um, Serge Aurier's signing so I don't know if you remember mm. a load of um, speculation about him signing and because of the um, he'd been uh, banned for a few games, I think, in France because he'd said something homophobic to his manager. So that was something that was that, that was with him that you know, was coming with him. And um, we couldn't move on social media for people either telling us we had to condemn it. Um, or people like laughing and saying, oh, what are probably what's going to do about this then? Ha ha, surge forever, you know? Mm. And we took a view very early on that we weren't going to comment on any speculation while he was, because if he wasn't a player yet, um, we're not going to talk about him. Yeah. You know, because there's, yeah. there's no point. Um, but we did talk to the, you know, we have good, good lines of communication with the club, so we did talk to the club about it. And actually, um, just before the signing was confirmed, they talked to us about the comms, which I think... It's a big we, deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. Um, because, you know, they understood that they do have um, a fan group with, um, uh, with, with both with expertise and with sort of a special interest. Um, and, but we also were very clear that we were going to release what, some kind of a statement. But our statement was mostly, and, and, and again, this was important to us. It wasn't sort of we weren't trying to um, let anybody off the hook. But actually, you know, if you are sort of repentant, you understand what the issues are. And, you know, Serge's statement said that, you know, I, it was something, he said something about the rich diversity of our club, right? And that's a kind of, that's a nod um, to us and to the work that we do. Um, I'm not going to, again, um, criminalise him for something that's happened in the past. As I, you know, we said it earlier, you have to believe in people's capacity to learn and change. And so, you know, we, we were like, we're not going to judge him, apart from on the football pitch, obviously. Mm. It's a whole other story. Mm. Um, um because you know this is a new chapter you go to a new job you want to reinvent yourself like you would like any like, like anyone might when they're going to a new job um and you know we signed him obviously in the summer and i think it was in october we sort of we met him at the training ground it wasn't a hugely long conversation but he knew who we were if you there's a photograph of us with um uh, that was around um, football against the fair campaign. But then also, I think the following year, there's a photograph of us with our flag with the men's and the women's first team squads. Me and Serge standing right next to me, the flag's in full view. He's got a big grin on his face. So, you know, and that was important because it wasn't like he was just being sort of 
lined up for something to just say, just come here and take a picture. We knew he knew what it was. And so the fact that we were able to sort of be involved in in what those comms looked like and and for that to be sort of, you know, part of his his story at Tottenham, that makes me really proud too. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah, that that that's a story that I think a lot of people listening to this won't know too much about either, which is fantastic and a yeah. real insight as to again some of the brilliant work that you guys do that that maybe doesn't always reach the the news and Twitter and all of that, but it's just another example of, of great stuff that you guys are doing. So that's brilliant. I, I, honestly, I could sit here and listen to you talk about all the great work that you do all day. It's so fascinating. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, aims and that for the Proud Lily Whites in, in, the, in the coming months and years. Is there anything that you guys are sort of like trying, are you working towards anything or is it a case of just slowly improving everything that you've mentioned little by little? I think it's more that, to be honest, because I think this is about, um, I don't think there's anything, there isn't a necessarily a revolution that we want to see because actually we're football fans that want to make, just want to, that want to support our club. We don't have something that we're trying to overturn or overthrow necessarily from a, from an LGBTQ plus fan perspective. I think like anything with football now, you, we can't decouple it from what's going on with, with COVID and, uh, you know, there's some interesting challenges um, for our members in all of this, you know, whether you're um, somebody who's not necessarily um, you're in lockdown with people that you can't be out with, you know, we've got some members that are in those situations or if you're in lockdown and you're isolated, you're, you live on your own, um, you know, so that, that, that there are those challenges. And so football is a lifeline for so many people. This isn't... Um, this isn't necessarily exclusive to LGBTQ plus fans, but, you know, football being a lifeline for so many people in terms of your social life and, you know, and, and, and our meetups, for example, you know, we do, we have some members where our meetups are sometimes the only opportunity they have to hang out with other LGBTQ plus people. And that's just gone now. Yeah. And we don't know when it's going to come back. Um, so, so I think those are the kinds, you know, we, we're like everybody else just trying to adapt with any information that we find but I think those are the kinds of, of, of challenges that we'll be facing I think the other thing about football being behind closed doors I don't think we can underestimate um, that um, a lot of discrimination is really going to go online now I'm not saying that you don't already have online discrimination but I just think when you've got every football fan watching TV with a brilliant Wi-Fi connection you know because that's the thing during games you do have, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of people in football stadia without access uh, mm. to the internet. And now everybody's going to have, you know, access to their Wi-Fi and then a potential for larger and higher um, rates of discrimination or just people thinking it's a laugh or whatever. Um, and uh, for me, again, on a more macro level, the thing that I want to, that I think is a challenge for all of us, actually, is that we don't end up with sort of the oppression Olympics, you know, of which oppression is, has got some kind of like higher value than another. I think what's really important is, you know, homophobia doesn't travel alone. It's mates, racism and sexism are often like uh, happily with it. Um, and also in football, you know, I think you can't underestimate um potential spikes in racism that have 
you know, that have that has spiked again in the last um, couple of years for, you know, often you you can link that to wider societal factors. Um, so I think we have to sort of be really sort of vigilant there as well. And I think those are some of the challenges that we're all going to face and about how we can in a um, sort of creative and innovative way of of campaigning in those areas, particularly when we can't go out anywhere. One thing I always want to know is, is there is there an end point then? Is there a point where it will be proud Lily White, their job is done, we can stop this now? Or is it always going to be there and the aim is just for it just to be, you know, a club where people can go and be around similar people? And But it, there's not as much campaigning. What's the end point? How do you know when yeah, you're done? I mean, we, we said from the beginning we want to put ourselves out of business. Yeah. You know, I'd like to be in a situation where you didn't have to as L- it didn't it didn't feel safer necessarily as lgbtq plus fans that to have to be sort of congregating together yeah um i want to be in a situation where we don't hear mass chanting of um of a homophobic song we don't or, yeah or have to have a debate that whether it's homophobic or not actually mm. um you know so i'd love to be in a situation where i didn't have to worry about it yeah, because I because the I have ish, issues. I the one I I've always struggled with the the Y word one, right? Because yeah. you go like on one hand, I'm not Jewish. Um, um to be clear, I, but you go on one hand, it's purely there's no intent of any racism from me whatsoever. It's all about being inclusive and taking it back. But then it it's not necessarily about my intent. It's about the receiver and. If the receiver are your own fans, let alone the opposition fans, and they're sitting there going, "I'm not, I'm not down with this. I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not. This isn't right. This is insulting to my people and what my people have been through." Then we can just drop it. And it, it's the same with that chant. Now, the aggression in football goes hand in hand, right? There, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that where working, it was for working class people to get their anger out in a, in places where they they were accepted by a big group, and so when you let out an emotion some pent up things came out so it's natural for anger to come out but what we're saying now is it doesn't have to offend people it doesn't have to hurt people right is it and we need to think about who is on the receiving end versus what your intent is as much as anything yeah there's there's so many things in that actually because i think for me, with with the Y word, I, I mean, I, you know, it's complicated. I don't necessarily, you know, this is my views, my personally, not the views of the Proud Lily Whites. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't use it, even though I get it. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's part of our identity or whatever. Yeah. Um, if it's any, if anybody feels like it, you know, if anybody feels, you know, like um, hurt by it. Or you know that it it's something that is is damaging and it is damaging in any other context. Then I don't think we need to use it, and mm. we haven't always used it. Yeah. The other thing. So if we haven't always used it, then there must be a way of not using it. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah. there's some kind of cultural change program there because I, I think also if you look at some, you know, like if I there was one time I just did I I don't know I was kind of fell into a Twitter hole and there are loads and loads of Americans who don't understand what it is. They literally think it means Spurs. Mm. Mm. And so 
there's 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 stuff in there as well um and i'm just going to come back to the point that you made about um anger and i i, I get it because you know i'm a middle-aged woman and one of the mm. things I love about football is that it's a place where it's entirely acceptable for um a middle-aged woman, you know, with a relatively sort of responsible job yeah. to get up and like, and just to be able to shout at the top of my lungs. However, I think there is a difference between anger and aggression. Yes. And that's the thing for me that I find difficult at football. And it's the thing, the re one of the reasons why the women's team has given me such great joy in the last sort of five or six years is because you get to support Tottenham and you can be a bit cross and you know chant and sing a song and whatever but the aggression isn't the same and yeah. that's a massive difference to me because i don't i don't think that aggression is healthy it doesn't necessarily is not conducive of a really great atmosphere and to be honest it's like it's not i don't think spurs is pretty good actually you know mm. if i over the years having been in other grounds um it's it's interesting i think within the new um stadium with there being more people there, and therefore I think more people who are less used to live football and week in week out, it's like you don't win every game. No. I'm okay with that, I mean, I'd love to win every game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I don't want to be defeatist. No. But you don't win every game, and sometimes yeah. just that's life, and it's sport, and you know that's kind of this. That's where the why there's so much glory in winning, but there's also there can be you know glory in like putting up a really good fight. Yeah, and so I don't think you need to have that much aggression. I agree with your points one hundred percent, Chris. The 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 women's game has got a lovely grassroots feel to it, where you can support Tottenham, but you don't have to be part of a laddish culture, which which does exist. However, uh, not however that, that that sets it up wrong. The the bit I sat in block thirty five in the South End, and it was the the. I sat there purely because we never sat down. I'm lucky because I'm six foot two. <laughs> I think it, you know, um, and it was. I enjoyed the aggression. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was right. Um, I enjoyed swearing at the Arsenal fans, swearing at the Man United fans, swearing at the West Ham. You know, I enjoyed it, and there was a bit in me where all my anger from the week, all my just rage, I could just get out and swear. And I go home feeling calmer. Now that is an unhealthy way. So I'm at, I'm still I'm in therapy for some other trauma that's happened, and my therapist would say that is not a healthy way of de dealing with things. But to a frankly a male population who's who were coming because their dads went, who didn't, who were part of a generation where they had to, you know, be men, not display emotion. If it was the one place where they could sing, where they could display emotion, I understand where it's come from, but I think to your point where we're now in a ground where there's, tw you know, more than twice as many people who are, who are going now than there were before. So there are tons of people going, families who are going where it's a far safer environment. It doesn't smell like there's, there's space. It's welcoming. It's safe where it's just going to change. And I, and it, you have a look at the, the great atmospheres, right? You have a look at the, there's two ends to it. You have a look at the yellow wall where there's a great atmosphere in Dortmund. The songs there aren't aggressive. They're not anti anti the other team or anti-individual players. And we, we talk about this because my favourite away ground, my favourite away ground and away fans are Everton because they always just sing about their own club. Yeah. They never sing anti your songs. And I love them for that. 
Um, and you don't get that at Dortmund. And then the other end is, you know, when you go to Serbia and some of those teams where it is pure aggression. It's not a nice atmosphere and it's very exclusive, as in it, it excludes people. Right, because I think you can have a really good atmosphere mm. and it doesn't have to be sanitised. Mm. I think that's the other thing is the uh, this idea that the more women you have at football, the more um, anti-discrimination initiatives you have, that somehow you're diluting the the magic and the essence of the game. And as I say, I don't think I think you can be angry, but it doesn't have to be aggressive. Yes. And I do think, and I do think there's a difference there because I mean I could be angry, but I'm at, at football, but it's not, it's ne- it's never aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you're right about um, the opposition, and that's one of the things that I really love about again about supporting the women's team. But what's been very interesting is in the WSL, there's been a little bit more from the opposition. There's a, particularly, I don't mind saying it because I've said it to them before. Um, the Manchester United fans spend their whole time singing songs as if they were in the men's Premier League. So mm. it's about the opposition and you're only here to see United and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Um, and, you know, you could say it's in good humour, but actually I'm not interested in Manchester United when I'm watching the Spurs women's team play Manchester United. I want to support the women's team. And I think there's something that the men's game can learn from that. It's about getting behind your team not in a mawkish way and not being able to criticise and not being cross at them from time to time, but it's not necessarily about, you know, finding ways to kind of denigrate the opposition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because and often the way you denigrate the opposition is by something that is racist, sexist, homophobic. So it's different, right? Exactly. So typical. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's great. Um, Last was it last week or the week before, Chris? Um, the Proud Lily Whites put together a great, great quiz night, um, which I joined. Stato joined. Um, it was brilliant. Ash Neville from the ladies' team was there, um, and you had a couple of great video questions as well from current Spurs players. So Tanganga and Vertonghen had both done um, a question each, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so, firstly, thank you for the invite because it was such a great night. Um, how did you go about getting the club involved in that? Well, as I say, because we've got good sort of, we do have kind of good relationships with them. Um, I just dropped a message really to the to um, the head of PR mm. and said we're doing this, and you could see that they were doing lots of, you know, it's funny there are um, the days that I got the, those questions through. Um, both the players were on their days where they did some content for for the um, for the club social media. So you know, we just gave plenty of notice dropped the message and said would it be possible if but you know like I think the important thing is is that there weren't any expectations yeah happened we still had our quiz it wasn't like the whole quiz was riding on those questions necessarily um but we asked the question um but I think we well really we really enjoyed that quiz and the thing for us was it was we because we've got a dive quite a diverse membership in terms of age in terms of how long they've been supporting Spurs in terms of their, you know, necessarily their levels of engagement. We wanted to have, like, a fun evening where everybody could be involved regardless of their knowledge levels. So, you know, you were there, Jack, so, you know, we we were kind of... We had a couple of sort of more traditional rounds of sort of questions and answers, where, but there were multiple choice, so at least you could get some points. And that's where Jan and and Jaffet came in, although um, Jaffet's question wasn't 
um, multiple choice. So we open with that. Yeah. Um, but Jan's was, and uh, and then we just we decided on some like really kind of some silly rounds. I mean, my favourite was Simon being the quiz master with uh, he literally like had a sparkly bow tie on his over his t-shirt and and had like a disco light behind him as he did the Price is Right. So it was like a load of tat on the internet that Spurs related and how much did it cost. Now, you'd be very surprised to hear that a worn David Howell shirt from the 96-97 season is uh, on a popular auction site for £499, whilst a spined Glen Hoddle boot, his left boot, but a Glen Hoddle boot nonetheless, 60 quid. I was, I was terrible in that round. I don't think I got any of the questions right. So I was happy when we moved back to a more traditional traditional Spurs quiz round after that because my score was plummeting. My favourite, actually, my favourite round, and I made this round, was the guess the year. So I picked a, a goal apart from the Tony Park save where I picked the Tony Park save and then sort of the most iconic song of that year. And then you had to guess the year. So oh, cool. um, over Tony Parks was Frankie's Relax, which was brilliant because obviously oh, that's yeah. a sort of classic opening. Um, and that was quite fun. Although yeah. now I come to think of it, I wish I'd re- thought of Stephen Carr's goal. I would have should have put that one in. <laughs> Maybe have, you, one. have you listened to the one that we've done a couple of episodes ago? The I'm not I'm not I'm putting you on the spot here, but have a listen. We did a Spurs pub um Stato wrote a Spurs pub quiz one. Uh, yeah. It's, it's good and it's it's really hard. Jack won, but I think you'd love it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, so right. Well, I'll, I'll go, I'll go back and have a look at that. Yeah, but yeah, like it. it was it was really good fun, and we, you know, we had about fifty or sixty people there, and you know, my sort of joke since then has been, you know, what happens when a professional footballer, a pop star, and an Olympian join a quiz. Yeah. So, so when I say an Olympian, Helen Richardson Walsh, who's our patron, she joined us, which was great. And um, we happened to get a follow from Anthony Costa while we were planning it. And so I just dropped him a message and um, and he joined us and, and hosted the um, the music round, which was fantastic. Um, you know, special, extra special for me being a fellow uh, North London Greek Cypriot. Um, <laughs> very funny. I we I spoke to him that morning because I just thought I was just gonna give him a little brief on the um on the round and I got a message from my partner like sort of 20, 15 minutes into the conversation going who are you talking to <laughs> you've all north london kind of <laughs> you know because obviously like we're working all day and so I've got my sort of proper telephone voice on as I'm doing my work and then suddenly it's like I don't know yeah. 11 o'clock on a Thursday morning and I've gone like proper North London it's because I was talking to Anthony Costa who was an absolute ledge actually I think you know he was it was he was really kind of he got into the spirit of things and he was really involved I mean Jack you you know he was he was up for it it was great yeah it was it was like I said a really really good night so thank you for um thank you for the invite and getting us involved in that now I'd like to talk about Spurs on the pitch um and stuff that's been going on with us the last eight, nine months, it's been, well, maybe a little bit longer than that. It's been a, a very up and down year as a Spurs fan, I think. You know, the, the league form last year, which was terrible, the amazing Champions League run, feeling so connected with Pochettino and, and that team, going out to Madrid. You know, unfortunately, we didn't get that result. And now Jose's in charge. 
it feels like we've lost a bit of connection that we had with Pochettino during his reign. So I'd love to get your thoughts, Chris, on firstly, what what was your what were your emotions when you found out that Pochettino had been sacked? And then on the flip side of that, how have you made the appointment of Jose? Do you think that was a good move for the club or do you think we should have held our nerve and, and stuck with Poch? OK, so I'm going to preface all of this by this is me personally, not the Proud Lily Whites. I'm not being a spokesperson for anything Proud Lily Whites. This is just me. Um, we can, we can I, edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was um, actually in a meeting that e- the evening that evening and I got this message and I, I literally like my partner was in the meeting as well and she said to me what's wrong she thought that like something had happened to a member of my family but just because of what my the, the the way my face changed reading this message and then I had to literally excuse myself from the meeting because the, for the amount of messages phone calls and just the the shock I had a little cry and I, I was surprised at my own and my response, to be honest, because, I mean, you, you can't really predict how you're going to, how you will respond in those situations. But um, it really, it really, really affected me. And um, I actually went on, uh, on five, Ben Haynes was on uh, five live that evening. Yeah. And, um, and uh, he messaged me and said, will you come on and, and talk about Poch? Because he and I have got like a mutual Poch loving and we've, we've, um, that we managed to establish over the years. Um and I was on with Ben and, and actually I was I was quite emotional because I mean I understood where we were, but I also think that we should have given him I think he'd earned having getting a having a chance. Because I frankly I don't think we're in much a much better position than we were now than we are now. I think what was interesting though was to see that um Toby um sign his contract so quickly afterwards so something had obviously gone wrong there um but i also kind of believed in his plan and i would have been all i would i would have been actually been happy with um what the whatever the you know the 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 plan was for players i think he did a lot of it with his hands tied behind his back because of um, but he also bought into it, and I don't think he was just being a good company man when he was saying that. I do think he believed in his ability to coach young players, and I think there was something brilliant about that as well. Yeah, I think you uh, love that as a fan, don't you? Seeing somebody from the academy in the side, like it make it does make you feel as if you're part of it as a supporter. And I think that was what was so incredible and unique about the Pochettino reign is that he didn't he didn't win us any trophies. You know, but some of the football we watched and the togetherness of the whole club is difficult to explain to people that aren't Spurs fans that haven't experienced something like that. And I always get loads of stick from my mates that aren't Spurs. They say you go on about Pochettino all the time. He didn't do anything for you. You didn't win nothing. You got nothing to show for it. And I take that on board. But sometimes with sport and with football, there is more to it than just winning. And I think that's what he did. If he'd have won a trophy or a couple of trophies, like he probably should have done, that really would have been the most complete and ultimate reign for a manager because he would literally okay. have achieved everything. It's just a shame that he wasn't the one to break that that trophy gut that we had. I absolutely agree. That kind of, like you say, that collectiveness, that togetherness, Yeah. you know, what he engendered in the team and how that somehow translated to the fans. You know, I've not seen that in my in my lifetime as a Spurs fan mm. and you know 
<clears throat> that day I was telling you about the that photograph we took with the with the flag and the the men's and the first team, the men's and the women's first team. Um, this was before the women's team were, were professional, you know. And one of the things the players came out, and this is something that I I asked about it afterwards. They come out and they shake everybody's hand and introduce themselves. And that is very much to whomever. So it's almost like you're in my house, so I'm going to be a good host. Yeah. And that's very much a poch that was that's Pochettino. That is a Pochettino thing. So literally, like, you know, Christian Eriksen shook my hand and said, Hi, Christian. I just laughed. I said, I think I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like a few times, because literally every single one of them, there were three of us. Uh, yeah, there were three of us there. They all came and introduced themselves. I mean, it was a bit of a melee. Maybe a couple of them missed out because they were also introducing themselves to the women's team because they not, hadn't necessarily all met before. Yeah. But that's very much, um, you know, in Poch's, you know, in his, in, in, in his, in his DNA. You know, I also, um, you know, like when they do open house, um, the open house weekend, um, a friend of mine um, found got a couple of managed to get some of the last tickets to the open house at the Sp at Spurs Lodge, oh, wow. or whatever they call it now. And you know, even in there, the artwork, by all accounts, um, most of it was chosen by Daniel Levy and his wife and Poch together. There's this amazing kind of um, sculpture along the corridor, which is like a constellation. It looks like a constellation, and what it is when you there's a little sort of interactive screen and you press it and it's it's goals so it's like it's kind of the lines of goals of different and Poch chose every single one of those goals mm. and this is along the corridors like all the the players um so it's one corridor like that that's where this constellation is and on the other side of the players rooms so it's just all those kinds of things it's like he really he believed in what that was sort of holistic that sort of holistic nature of how you build a team. Mm. And you know that from anything, from any business or any team that you're building, whether it's a sports team or a team in business, that actually all those kinds of details, as well as the talent on the, on the pitch that really matter. And I think as fans, he managed to make that connection in a way that I don't think, you know, I've, I've not seen before. I'm not sure we'll see again. And I think that matters. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think it, it, it really matters to Spurs as well. Do you know what I mean? I feel like he was just the, the perfect fit for us, wasn't he? And I think we were, well, I, I speak for myself, I was gutted that night when I found out he'd been sacked. Absolutely gutted. I, I, was, I was sat with Sarah my other half and I, I remember turning to her and saying, what have we done? What have we done? Why why have we got rid of this man? You know, everything he's done for us, the direction we're going. I just remember being gutted. But then on the, on the flip side of that, when it was announced that we'd got Jose... I was actually really excited by that and still am. Um, and he's another one. He, he massively divides opinions. And there's a lot of Spurs fans that are not, and you're shaking your head already, that are not fans of him. Um, but I just, it's very interesting that obviously we went down this direction with Poch and we've talked about all of the things that were fantastic about it. And that's obviously finished. And now we seem to have gone the complete opposite direction where we've sort of abandoned all of that stuff that we built with Pochettino and, and Jose, who is a, just a proven winner and he doesn't really care about anything else other than the three points and, and the trophy. So I think it's very interesting that we've taken that approach. What's your opinion? And I can tell by the head shaking. Um, what is your opinion of Jose? Chris, can I ask what the good stuff is about Jose? I'm not, I, I'm, listen, I, I'll tell you one good thing. Uh, this year's Rainbow Laces, he wore 
our badge in the in two press conferences and did a nice message actually for the event so you've got to give him credit for that because he didn't have to do either of those things because you know you know as well as i do that even you know as uh, an employee of a club he doesn't do what anybody asks him to do he does things that he wants right so i've got to give him credit for that um but the thing for me is it's about culture. And I'm sorry to go back to Pochettino, but what we were talking about earlier is the culture that he engendered in the football club. And the thing that worried me about, and I said it to Ben that night when Jose was still a rumour, the night that we, we sacked Pochettino, the thing that worries me about Jose is, is what that culture is. A man who has gouged someone's eyes out, eye out. A man that did what he did to Eva Carnero. Now, I know what I said earlier about redemption and about he did say that he's going to come back a different, you know, that this is a different, you know, this is Jose 2.0, right? Then I'm all right. And I'm also all right with that because I think, you know what? You have to give them, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I kind of went through that journey myself. Um, but from a footballing perspective, I don't think it's pretty. And I also think that he's, I mean, it's, is he spent? Is is his is his brand of football something that was brilliant ten or fifteen years ago? Is he a manager that understands how to deal with millennials but not with Gen Z? And that, that there is a difference there, yeah. you know. Um, and I don't know how open he is for for that learning. Because I think you do have to keep redefining yourself. That's why Fergie was so brilliant and why he lasted for as long as he lasted because he understood how he had to redefine what they were doing in order to um, continue winning. Yeah. And I mean, I said it at the beginning, I was like the most Spursy thing that could happen is they will come to Spurs and not win anything. It'd be typical, wouldn't it? Absolutely typical. I and think you made something in his first season, but you know, not who knows what's going to happen with this season. So you know. Yeah, you made some interesting points there, and I think that, that it's all stuff that has been said in the press right about Jose. Can he adapt? Is he able to change and, and fit what the new club that he's at wants to do? And I think that I'm just very intrigued to see when we do get out the other side of this and football does resume, whether or not. Jose's adapted his style or if the players have adapted his uh, adapted their style to meet him because at the moment it's definitely felt like obviously we had that initial bounce of seven or eight games where it was great and we were winning and scoring lots of goals and the, the, everybody felt good again mm. but we seem to have slumped back into where we were really with Poch. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see well, obviously this extended break that all of the players and coaching staff have got when we do come back are we just going to pick up where we were or are we actually going to see the players adapting and, and being what Jose wants or is Jose going to adapt and take on point really all of the stuff that you've said there, Chris, about um, changing his style and that to suit the players. So I'm very intrigued because I think if if it's neither, I don't think it's going to be a successful reign for him. But history tells me that he always finds a way, even if it's not the most pretty and, and the best, he always seems to find a way. So I'm I'm still hopeful and optimistic that we will get a decent rain out of him at least. Well, as is always the case, it's you know the best outcome would be both, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Because you know? actually, that's that's when that's where the magic happens that the players sort of adapt to him, but that he's enough sort of understanding of the group that he's got to to build something from them yeah. as well. 
So, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a Spurs fan. I, you know, of course that's what I want. I mean, but I also, I wasn't hugely impressed by um, the flouting of the lockdown rules so early on. Yeah. Because as a manager, as a manager, you have to lead by example. And I know people that live up that way. And I, I'd already, before it even got in the press, I'd had it like six times from people that had seen that, like that had seen them. Yeah, it was it was really poor, wasn't it? You just think, what are you doing? You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy, isn't it? That stuff like that goes on. Yeah. So, but I mean, you know, obviously, I want him to do well. Yeah, and like I said, if history's anything to go by, we'll at least have a few trophies to show. Even if 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 we get a typical Jose reign and it's you know three seasons and there's trophies and it all ends in tears, I will actually be quite happy with that because you know at least we'll have some success to show and then we can just go and get watched back maybe <laughs> well that's the thing he did say he did say in that bt sport thing that he was uh he wants to finish what he started because i think that's the thing and you touched on this at the beginning um you know you could see that Potch was there for the long term and that he was going to build something and wanted to build a legacy. And, you know, I could have seen him in, in I would have loved to have seen him in place for 20 years or whatever, if, if he'd found a way to do that. Now he didn't. Okay. And I, and I understand that. Um, but I think he's, you know, in conjunction with the club, he, he did, he has changed the club. And I don't, and I think that, you know, Jose's come into Potch's house and, he hasn't torn the house down yeah and i think that's important yeah you know that those foundations he's not he hasn't torn the house down nor has he tried to dig up the foundations and actually i don't think i think the club like the foundations as they are because they was that was built jointly mm. um and so i think that's important um but yeah because you know that jose is not going to be there for longer than two or three seasons so it's about what that what that next what that next bit of the plan is but I guess time will tell, won't it, whether or not it's a, it's a success or not. Um, but look, Chris, it has been so great talking to you as always. That last hour absolutely flown by. So thank you so much. Really quick, hasn't it? So quick. So look, it's always great to to catch up with you, hear your Spurs stories, and obviously get an update on the great work that Prad Lillywatt's doing. So thank you so much for joining I, us. I'm, I, could I can I just add one thing of something I'm proud of because I totally yeah. forgot about it and it's really good. Please do. Uh, was um. It was around the um, support for Danny Rose when he talked about um, wanting to finish football because he was sick of all the racism. Mm. And we thought, well, we've got a platform, even though we're an LGBTQ plus um, fan group. Of course, we have um, black and Asian and minority ethnic fans. Um, but also, you know, as I said earlier, what's really important is that we, you know, it's it, there's a collective of anti-discrimination anti and inclusion in football. So we we just came up with this idea of, of making a banner of support. Um, I'll let you into a little secret. We were just going to, we were thinking about doing a banner of support and having a picture with it. And then we, my mate Maggie ordered it. She won't mind me saying this. Well, she does tell me all the time. And basically it was massive. It was much bigger than we thought. And the picture, and the picture was quite small, but then when there was loads of space around it, we were like, what are we going to do? But then actually we thought we'll turn it into an action. So we, we went before two games, before a game against the um, Champions League games, one against Man City and one against Ajax, actually, the first leg against Ajax. We got people to sign it. Mm. And so we've got like thousands of signatures of Spurs fans, Ajax fans, Man City fans and local people, actually, who were just walking down the street, signed this banner. And it was a it was a really great thing. And it was a it was really good engagement talking to people. And we were talking to people about, 
you know, about what Danny had said and, you know, so there was there was that sort of part of it. But it was also like making this thing. And um, again, sort of just suggested to the club that, you know, Danny might like it because what we were going to do with it, it's like, it's for him because he's in support of him. And actually they said, oh, you know, yeah, come to the training ground and we can, we'll present Danny with the with the flag, um, which was great because it was really good to have that conversation with him and for him to, you know, we spent like 10 or 15 minutes chatting to him about it and, you know, so and we're really proud of that of just building this thing and and it's because we have the platform that we have now that we've built over the years that we were able to do that yeah. um, but the extra bit of loveliness about this story is that it turned out that the day they'd arranged for us to go to the training ground was the day um the first day of training after the Ajax game oh wow imagine how much the place was buzzing yeah, wow! It was first day back in after that after that semi final. So I mean, Philip and I had only just got back from Amsterdam ourselves, and then the next day there we were. It was great. That's such a great story, and yeah, the vibe and the atmosphere there. Must have been the other funny thing was was that um, as we were talking to Danny, um, Toby came past, and I had a sharpie in my hand, and I was like, "Oh, Toby, do you want to sign this banner?" this banner in support of Danny so it started signing it and Danny as quick as a flash said oh we finally got Toby's signature <laughs> that's great <laughs> that's brilliant what a great story so I, th I thought I'd better throw that one in because I've forgotten it that's fantastic and you know what that's such a great way to end this week's podcast as well a brilliant story so look Chris thanks again for your time oh, ASD. thanks for having me guys really good to talk to you nice to see you Chris Always nice to see you. And thank you for everyone listening at home. And remember, whatever happens, future's bright and the future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football. And I always thought that football was a very important game. But I never realised until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well... They're the finest team in Great Britain, and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next? We are Blancheflower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. 
We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do. Oh, no.